You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Alexa, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Friday, last podcast of the week, and we've got big news news and update on the Tyrone Wallace situation. It's not too good for the Pelicans, so we'll dive into that. We'll talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame upcoming this weekend, starting today. I think they have the inductions, enshrinements, what have you, speeches on Saturday and all of that because this is a pretty star-studded class. And that led to my Wednesday Locked On NBA co-host and myself having an interesting discussion. And I'm going to bring it up to you guys because I'm curious to get your feedback for it as well. So we'll jump into both of those topics in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So we have some resolution to the Tyrone Wallace offer sheet that the Pelicans made to the the restricted free agent guard wing, whatever you want to call him. And that is in kind of a surprising move, the Clippers have matched. The deal was 300000 guaranteed by 912, and then it guarantees, we would assume, on in mid-January when the rest of all guaranteed contracts hit at that same point in time with a non-guaranteed second year. So that's a very good deal, and the Pelicans were hoping that the Clippers' guard depth, I don't know if you really want to call it depth, but all of the guards that they have alongside the non-guaranteed contract of Pat Beverly and the fact that they're getting close to um, 17 guaranteed deals would mean that they wouldn't match this and the Pelicans can snag the young guy. The sec- He'll be a second-year player now um, with, with upside for, for pretty cheap. Well, that didn't happen. And kind of in hindsight, maybe we should have seen this coming. If this guy is as good as some have claimed, and again, you guys know, I think he's the best you could pick for your 15th roster spot at a minimum deal. I think of all the guys available, this is probably the one I would choose. Doesn't mean he's going to be a great player. I've seen awesome fit and other things like that bandied about. Dude's going to get like 10, 15 minutes at the most. I don't know if we want to go into hyperbole territory with him. That's me personally. If you're excited about him, that's awesome. Because I'm excited about it too, or would have been, because I think in that sense, he fits that role that he'd be asked to play really, really well with some upside, similar to Jalil Okafor and what they're doing there with him. But if he's that good and fits that role that well, well, for just 300000 there's no reason why the Clippers shouldn't have matched him. Even with all of that, uh, the contracts that they have, they have plenty of time to kind of figure their roster out and either make trades or just wave guys. Again, it's Steve Ballmer and Microsoft money, so this is no big deal. I think maybe it's more of a damning thing where if they let the guy walk on a veteran, uh, not a veteran minimum deal, on that minimum contract because... What's that say about him if they're willing to let this young guy with upside walk? Maybe he's not as good as other people think. So, you know, this kind of makes me feel like the Pelicans did the right thing here. You know, it seems like maybe they would have just matched anything, though it's only the 300000 so we'll never know if maybe the Pelicans should have done that first year fully guaranteed or not. But Tyrone Wallace not coming to New Orleans, meaning they're at 19 roster spots now for training camp. So I, you have to figure they'll bring in another training camp body on an unguaranteed deal to kind of compete with some of these other guys out there for that final roster spot. Scott Kushner wrote about it in The Advocate 
the other day that they just have all-out competition going on in training camp. And a lot of these guys say it's refreshing to hear because of that. Um, a bit of a retro approach, as he says, for the three guys that they have coming in, Troy Williams, Kenrich Williams, and Garland Green, it's one of those guys might make the roster spot, and they're telling him, hey, you can come here, you can compete for a spot, and it's as simple as that. Show up, play hard, and you have a chance to be in the NBA next year. And all of those guys, I think, like it, and maybe it kind of gets the most out of them, knowing that it, nothing's guaranteed, and you get you know solid training camp from these guys that maybe then push other guys, and it's kind of got a cascading effect. So you have to figure they'll bring some other guard, young guy in with high upside that could then maybe have a chance at making the Pelicans roster to compete for one of those spots. You know, we're seeing it in the front court between the Okafors. We're seeing it in that wing position. And we'd like to see it a little bit more in the back court. I think, again, this is maybe a sign that they don't have full faith in Frank Jackson. I know a lot of you guys are so high on him. And that's cool. I just don't see it. and I'm just not going to buy into it until we see it in actual NBA games. Maybe not even in preseason. Depends, I guess, who he's playing against. But besides the point is, there's going to be another guy coming in. It's likely not going to be a sexy name. This was probably, again, the best of all the names that were kind of left out there. So we'll have to wait and see who it is as my cat completely just jumped and landed like a goddamn bomb next to me on the table. So if you heard that, that's what that was. So we'll see what happens in training camp. We are just weeks away, uh, and it's going to be an exciting time. That's when the hype will really start. We'll start really doing season previews. We'll go position by position, some specific players and how they can have maybe breakout years or big years and what to expect from them there. Uh, so that's going to be all upcoming over the next couple of weeks here on Locked on Pelicans. So before we get into the Hall of Fame thing, the Locked On Network is expanding to college. That's right. We are going back to school here. Coming this week, we've got Locked On Wolverines help you get over that disappointing loss. We've got Locked On Florida State Seminoles. Same thing. We've got all the losing teams, apparently. We've already got Locked On Oregon. We've got Locked On Alabama Crimson Tide. No losing there. The Locked On Kentucky Wildcats going to be covering basketball as well as football in all of their sports. We've got the Razorbacks, the Volunteers, and the BYU Cougars. Find your alma mater, find your favorite show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. So before the Hall of Fame stuff, something I want to mention, the Indiana Pacers re-up to a multi-year extension head coach Nate McMillan. Of course, the father of Jamel McMillan, former Pelicans assistant head uh, assistant head coach, assistant coach, who's now with the Phoenix Suns and certainly seems to be a guy who's up and coming and rising up the ranks, who had been here in New Orleans for a number of years, dating back to the Monty Williams time. So kind of got that coach and family making moves here in the NBA. So nice to see. And he had a good season for the Pacers last year. He seems to connect with that team, that city, those players. And I think that's the most important thing you're looking for in a head coach. So good for them in the weekend east they have some chances to really make some moves and maybe not be a title contender but at least make some noise in the playoffs and they also now have former pelican tyreek evans there so the the news of the week really is that you've got the nba hall of fame going on this weekend starting tonight i think that's going to be a lot of fun because this is a pretty star-studded class uh you've got uh ray allen who is by by the way has been in the news trying to then still rag on that former Boston team, which is a little bit surprising, of course. Um, and then you've got Steve Nash. You've got Jason Kidd going in as well and a couple of other guys. But those are the three big ones that I think everyone really is kind of paying. Oh, Grant Hill, too. I don't want to forget about him whatsoever. So it's pretty awesome because when you look at some of these guys that are going in, this is quite a class 
um, including coach Maurice Cheeks is going to be into the in the Hall of Fame as well. So it, it's pretty big. So John and I on Locked On NBA were talking about what if you were doing an NBA-only Hall of Fame because the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame factors in European ball, it factors in college, everything, any sort of basketball that you played. So I think this is an interesting thing if you just look at it in terms of the NBA. And let's say you only get five guys to put into your NBA Hall of Fame. What are your criteria and who are the five guys that you select? There's obviously some names that are probably going to come up in every single list. I would assume, and this is maybe the one that I would do, uh, if you don't have him on there, I'd be kind of annoyed with you, would be Michael Jordan, of course. But I think when you look at the first five guys in, you can pick any number of, of Hall of Famers and great players in NBA history, and you can make an argument for him. I think the only one you just can't leave out probably is Jordan. Um, so when if what John had was, of course, Jordan was in. He then had Bill Russell. He's a Celtics homer, but Bill Russell's quite an NBA player uh, and hugely important to the league. He had Oscar Robinson, uh, and then he had also Larry Bird and Magic Johnson saying they're so intertwined, you almost have to look at them as one entity, and he wasn't able to kind of leave them out. And he said when he's looking at this, he wanted to pick guys that kind of tell the story of the NBA. You have Bird and Magic who kind of saved the league when they came in after their kind of duels in college and then, you know, took the NBA to made it must see TV. The things were on tape delayed. The NBA finals were tape delayed at that point when they came into the league. That stopped when those guys came in and kind of revolutionized two historic franchises and just made it, again, must-see TV. Jordan, of course, is Jordan. You want to get kind of an old-school player there in Bill Russell. So I get all of this. I took a bit of a different approach. So the way I looked at it is if you were going to pick five guys into your inaugural class, I wanted to pick guys who kind of all represented different eras in the NBA, different periods of time, and maybe select one guy that kind of encapsulates a lot of that. And I did that with five guys. The first one being, if we're going to go old school here to kind of the beginning of this class, would be Wilt Chamberlain. You could really pick him or Bill Russell, but Wilt Chamberlain was so revolutionary that they literally changed the way the markings were on the court. They made so many rules around the way he played just to make it so that he wasn't that dominant. That's a, a pretty, pretty serious thing there. Um, next, I then selected Dr. J. I wanted to get some ABA love that kind of go out, score, have fun, dunking, high-flying style of basketball that wasn't prevalent in the NBA until those two leagues merged and brought those players over. And Dr. J, to me, really encapsulates that. I, of course, have Magic Johnson in there too, the 80s Showtime Lakers, and everything he did to revolutionize the NBA, not make it a tape-delayed NBA Finals thing, is a really big deal. He was also the first guy really with that size that could do all the things he did. And in NBA Finals, he played every single uh, position as they won. I think they beat the Celtics, but I might be wrong on that. Um, and that's just, to me, a very impressive thing. He was a point guard who was then playing center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, whatever it took. And he was capable of doing all of those very, very well. Then, of course, after that, you have to have as we said, Michael Jordan, and it's just not even a question. We all know why. We don't really need to get into it. And then I had one more choice, and this is where I had some trouble with it because you could pick any number of guys. There were some others that really came to my mind with this um, that I didn't end up picking, and maybe I went unconventional and maybe cheating a little bit with this. You could have picked Jerry West. 
It's the damn logo. Um, he goes back a little bit earlier in in this kind of thing, and he was so important to it. He's also got the the GM side of everything too, and the front office, which I think would be good to have in that inaugural class. You could have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the all-time leading point scorer in the NBA. It's kind of tough to leave him out, maybe, of your inaugural class and everything that he did as well. Um, and there were another. There's one other guy I think that you really could have put in, which was Hakeem Olajuwon, that skilled big man. That's really how all modern bigs are playing now. You know, the 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 dream shake and all of those moves they had. You didn't see big men doing all of that to that degree, and then you kind of didn't see it for a little while after that too. And now you're starting to see those guys do that kind of work and are that athletic and those kind of moves as well. Also, you know, really one of the first players to really kind of look at overall in terms of international play that really made an impact in the league. You could also throw Dirk Nowitzki in that um, same category. Maybe he needs to be in this you know inaugural class to show the global impact of the game. But I didn't pick any of those guys. I actually maybe I'm cheating with this, and I picked LeBron James. It's obvious he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, unanimous going in whenever he's eligible to do so. But the impact he's had on the game so far while still playing is just mind-boggling to me and how important he's been for the league and the growth of this league being by far its biggest marketable superstar for basically since he came into the league or going back to the year before that or the two years before that when he was in high school and how everyone was following him then, how important he is. And this is my inaugural Hall of Fame, so I don't need to worry about any of these rules. And those are the guys that I picked, and it's as simple as that. So let me know on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. Who are your first five guys in? And what's the criteria you picked for them? Are you just trying to get the five greatest players? Are you going something that's more representative of the league as a whole? What is it? Let me know on Twitter again, at Nola Jake. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. No new signing for New Orleans as Tyrone Wallace was matched by the Los Angeles Clippers, which everyone I think now looks at is, yeah, that was a really smart move for them. So a bit disappointing, but it's okay. He was only going to play a handful of minutes anyway, but now you've got to kind of look and maybe scramble a little bit, but not too much to kind of fill that role because it's certainly something the Pelicans want filled and to have a guy on their roster able to play that. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host. Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all next week. 